0: Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Next Tuesday is a red-letter day for Metro Transit. It's cutting the ribbon for the new Cortex Metrolink station. What does that mean for the system and for commuters? With us to talk about that and what's ahead for Metro Transit are Jessica Mefford-Miller its Interim Executive Director. June McAllister-Fowler is the brand-new board chair for Citizens for Modern Transit. She is also VP for Communications, Marketing, and Public Affairs for BJC Healthcare. Thank you both so much for being with us. Great to have you.
1: Thank you for having us. Thank you, John. Jessica,
0: let me begin with you. Um, is this just another stop in the Metrolink system, or is it more important
1: no, than that? No,
2: it's it's much more important than that, Don. So in addition to Cortex Metrolink Station becoming our 38th station in the system mm-hmm. and our first infill station, so it's a station between two other existing stations, this project is part of a public-private partnership. It has been born out of work from Cortex, BJC, Washington University, Bi-State Development, and other partners, including Great Rivers Greenway, there has been a call to construct a station at this burgeoning Cortex Innovation District for some time. And so these partners work together to secure federal funding via a TIGER grant several years ago, and now we're pleased to open the station next Tuesday, July 31st.
0: Uh, June, I mentioned your, your day job uh, in the introduction because BJC is part of this. Exactly what role has, has it played and why?
1: You are right that BJC is a part of it. Um, the Central West End Station, which Jessica, I can't remember what number of station that was, but which will be just to the east, I'm sorry, just to the west of the brand new cortex station is actually the busiest station on the system, and that station serves our academic campus along with the camp, the uh, services of our partners at Washington University School of Medicine. We know the importance of transit and access to good transit for our employees, our patients, and so many members of our community. Um, we think of ourselves as not only an organization that provides great health care but also as an important part of the economic development in this region. Mm -hmm. Public transit plays an integral role in that. And so we see our involvement – with bringing this station to fruition with all of the partners that Jessica mentioned as key to what we do as a healthcare system. And, and
0: what is uh, Citizens for Modern Transit's role in all of this?
1: So Citizens for Modern Transit, which I am just so honored to be stepping into the chair of, is an advocacy organization. Our role is to work in partnership with Bi-State in advocating for good, comprehensive access to safe and reliable transit because we know it's important to folks who need transit to get to their jobs, who need it to get to doctor's appointments, who need it to access the services they need for their lives. Also, you know, a lot of people think of transit as this is how I get to the baseball game or how I get Mm -hmm. to the hockey game. But it's much more than that. It really is part of our economic viability in this region. Citizens for Modern Transit is a partner in advocating for good transit.
0: Sometimes called CMT. Jessica, how do you work with CMT?
2: Well, we work with CMT to promote use of our system. They're a fantastic advocacy organization, as June mentioned. They're very involved in making people aware of Metro Transit and encouraging its use through various incentive programs. They're also an important lobby for transit funding locally at the state and federal levels as well. And with respect to this Cortex station, they actually secured the funding for a feasibility study for the station that was completed back in 2014 and ultimately led to the securing of those Tiger Federal Investment Funds, to support the construction.
0: Uh, Tell me something about the process, if you will, of deciding uh, what to do and where to do it.
2: Right. Well, the feasibility study and and this process generally considers the cost to construct a station, the cost to operate it, so stopping the Mm -hmm. trains there, lighting, security, things like that, against the benefits of the station. And the benefits done include Access to the surrounding destinations that can be measured in ridership. But for a station like this in the Cortex Innovation District, economic development was a primary focus and remains a primary focus of designing this project. We anticipate an estimated 13,000 jobs to be created in this part of the region. It's already growing very rapidly. And the economic development plan for this area is really centered around the Cortex station so that there's accessibility to the nearby businesses. We've got a hotel under construction, new housing and retail, and also access to the surrounding residential areas.
0: It's a little bit of a crapshoot, isn't it, looking ahead and trying to anticipate what's going to happen? There are no guarantees when uh, an organization like this or an area like this uh, is... Is uh, in its early stages, that it will develop as it has.
2: Well, at the time the grant was secured, that TIGER grant, there was already strong development mm-hmm. taking place in the Cortex Metrolink station, and its book ended, as June mentioned, by the Central West End Station. That's our busiest station today. To the west, and then to Grand Station to the east. That's another very busy station with a little bit of space for development in between. It is a relatively a safe assumption that the development plans of Cortex, BJC, and their many partners would come to
1: fruition, and we're certainly seeing that take place. You know, Don, Go ahead, Jim. I'm sorry, the other thing that I would <clears> share <throat> is kind of much like this station, which has been under. con construction for a year, you know, the the planning is probably almost nine years old. Cortex, which a lot of people think has been an overnight success, Mm -hmm. is probably has been about almost 20 years in the making. And so what we're seeing is the fruition of all of that ground being laid 20 years ago. So all of the things Jessica's talking about, you know, the number of companies that are locating there, Microsoft is putting, you know, a good number of employees there, we actually have 15 over 1500 employees that will be served by that station it's a pretty safe assumption that that cortex area is going to continue mm-hmm. to kind of deliver on the promises that were planned, you know, almost 20 years ago.
0: Yeah, every time you turn around, you're hearing about another development associated with Cortex.
1: Mm-hmm. And we're seeing new businesses
2: locate from other places in the country to the Cortex Innovation District. And we know from talking with those businesses and watching corporate moves around the country that having strong transit access at the core is a very important important part of their location decisions, Don.
0: How many cars does public transportation take off the roads?
2: Oh, gosh, Don, I don't have a hard and fast <laughs> number for how many cars we take off mm-hmm. off the roads every day. You know, I can tell you back when that feasibility study was completed, we estimated that upon opening year we would serve about 900 passenger boardings a day at the Cortex-Metrolink station. And I think given the pace of development, which has been very good since that time, I expect to exceed those numbers relatively quickly. Yeah.
0: Let's talk a little bit m- more broadly about uh, what's going on with this public transportation system. Uh, June, I'll start with you. I know this this job, the chair job, is relatively new for you, but how well is our public transportation system working?
1: I think our public transportation system, like many systems in our community, uh, has aspects of it that work extremely well. And then we have aspects that need to be improved. Um, It is absolutely no secret that uh, there are challenges when it comes to um, some of the uh, feelings and and experiences that people have on the system. We're working not only at CMT, but uh, with Metro, with our law enforcement officials to really address those issues. Uh, It is not um, just on the system where these issues of uh, safety and security are taking place is kind of endemic to our community right now, and we've got to have a holistic approach to public safety. Uh, We believe that that's going to happen. Um, The the rate of expansion of the system can't happen fast enough. Uh, There are people who need access from where they are to where the jobs are, and public transportation can be that link We, as the Citizens for Modern Transit, are advocates in wanting a holistic, comprehensive, and disciplined way to make decisions about where the next expansion of the system needs to take place. We also have to make sure the community understands that these things don't happen overnight.
0: Jessica, what are your thoughts about this holistic approach? What does that mean to you?
2: You know, Don, we envision the transit system as one piece of the communities we serve. So as June mentioned, uh, it's important that we get people riding the system. That's our number one goal is getting more people using metro transit that will improve safety and security and the cost effectiveness of the system. But we also view the system, Metrolink in particular, as an economic catalyst. We're a community that could use more jobs, use more economic investment, and creating attractive places like the Cortex Innovation Community and like other points, particularly in the Central Corridor and hubs along potentially future light rail corridors is very important to the St. Louis region because it provides access to economic economic opportunities that exist and then creates more attractive spaces where businesses and communities can flourish.
0: What sort of thinking is going on in your shop with regard to the security issues that June mentioned? Because it's getting an awful lot of negative publicity lately, obviously.
2: It is, done and it's something that we and the communities we serve are wrestling with. We're seeing the same kinds of, of crime and events happening on our system as we are in the communities that surround our system. So we're working very closely with our law enforcement partners, that St. Louis County Police, City of St. Louis Metropolitan Police, and St. Clair County Sheriff's Department, to increase the number of patrols on our system. St. Clair County has recently made a commitment to soon begin patrolling the system, into Missouri through the city of St. Louis. We're looking at modifying some of our practices, including our contract security. We're also working together on a shared communication system. So a number of these advancements, Don, we're working on and are already in the process of rolling out to reduce the instance of crime on our system and to help our customers feel safer and more secure while riding Metro bus and MetroLink.
0: June, I don't know if you saw a the column over the weekend by Bill McClellan. In which he addressed uh, some of these issues, and it was not—I I wouldn't say it was a glowing endorsement of uh, MetroLink—but basically, he was concerned about the honor system, which allowed kids with nothing else to do to get on, get on the trains, and and go wherever they want to go, and sometimes get into trouble. And he also talked about uh, what was the other part of the uh, of his uh, concern there—the fact that uh, that businesses were supposed to be sprouting up at these various stations, and that's the way it works in other parts of the country, but it's not working that way here. Does he have a point?
1: I would say that um, there are businesses that are sprouting up along uh, the line. If you look at the station at um, Brentwood, um, we at BJC, we have about almost 3,000 employees who are located in what is called a transit-oriented development, which is at Eager Road. And part of the attractiveness of that site for us was access to public transit. Mm-hmm. So certainly all along the system, you have not seen that kind of burgeoning economic development. But I will—I would say it will come. You know, we we have a tendency to be very hard on ourselves in this community. Um, do we have room for improvement? Absolutely. Are we advocating? Are we trying to do the sorts of things that will make it uh, easier for development to uh, sprout, for lack of a better word, along the lines. Absolutely, because what what if you have businesses along the lines, you have an easy way for your employees to get connected from where they are to a job. And ultimately, economic development is all about our citizens having great jobs and being able to fully participate in the economy. I did want to mention something that uh, CMT and Bi-State are doing for riders to help them feel safer, there is uh, an app that's called SafeTrack that transit riders can download on their iPhones or their Android devices, which actually will help them if they see something on uh, the system or they feel unsafe, they've got a quick way to make sure that law enforcement is aware of what's going on and where it is because it's got a locational device in it that will track exactly where the problem is.
0: There's an app for everything. There's anymore, an app for everything. Jessica, before I take a break, is there anything that Metro Transit can do to try to encourage uh, more business uh, around these stops?
2: You know, Don, we are working by state development. Our parent company actually has an economic development arm. And so we work with property, some excess property that we have around the stations. But we also work with the municipalities and the communities we serve that are responsible for land use planning and zoning Mm -hmm. to create policies and incentives that are designed explicitly to attract development around transit and not just any development, but development that is constructed in such a way that it's really oriented around the transit Mm -hmm. system facing transit with parking to the route, something called transit oriented development. So we have a team focused on just that. And with respect to any potential expansion, before we really even get into the design Mm -hmm. of a potential expansion or alignment, we're focused on building development along those corridors.
0: Is there any thought being given to uh, eliminating the honor system?
2: So Metro has a proof of payment system that requires customers to possess a valid fare anytime they're on the system. Today we check those fares at the entry points and then on board using contract security and our law enforcement partners. So there is a fare validation system in place. On there have been conversations about constructing what we call barriers at stations. There's a feasibility study or really a MetroLink mm. security assessment that's underway right now in the region. That's being led by East West Gateway Council of Governments. Metro and our law enforcement partners are participating in that. We expect that that study, which will be complete at the end of this calendar year, will include recommendations. Some of those could be physical or infrastructure, but there will also be strategies on how we use our existing human capital to better secure the mm-hmm. system. Okay.
0: I have to take that break now. Uh, you just heard from uh, Jessica Mefford-Miller The interim executive director of Metro Transit, also with us in studio, is June McAllister-Fowler, board chair for Citizens for Modern Transit. She also wears other hats. We'll continue our conversation about Metro Transit. And we started this by talking about the new station at uh, at Cortex. We'll talk more about that. We have some listeners who want to get into the conversation, so we'll do that in a minute or so. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening to this St. Louis on the Air podcast, supported by University College at Washington University, with undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time evening and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Welcome back as we continue our conversation on Metro Transit and the new Cortex Metrolink station. We have some uh, comments here from listeners. Let's get to those right away. Jason asks, uh, the name Cortex, It's he's not a fan of the name and says that originally it was going to be called Boyle Avenue Station. Can you talk about what went into the choice of the name? And uh, I have a second question from him, but let's get to that one first, Jessica.
2: Sure. So, Jason, the Cortex station has been named such because the construction and also the operation of the station itself is in part being funded by Cortex and their partners, including BJC Healthcare. And so the naming rights, if you will, reflect Cortex's participation in this Mm -hmm. important project.
0: All right. What about the criticism? There's a lot of focus on the central corridor, perhaps to the neglect of North and South City and County. June, you want to take that one?
1: I think that's a very, very fair question, and it's one that uh, we as a community wrestle with a lot. You would almost have to go back to how the uh, expansion or the establishment of uh, the Metrolink first Mm -hmm. happened, which was using existing rail line. Uh, We've had one expansion, which was to the south. As Jessica shared, there are studies underway now to look at where should the next expansion be. There is certainly the desire and, um, I would say, the um, goal to make sure that that expansion opens up access to Metro to others in the community who uh, may feel they've been left out. You know, the station does go north. It goes all the way north to the airport. But – I am sure that the criticism is aimed at what is happening for North St. Louis.
0: And there are other criticisms as well, Je- Jessica, that it doesn't go far enough west. That always comes up when we have the conversation. And I wonder, we those of us who have been around for a while, remember why it didn't go to St. Charles. There were concerns out there by residents. Is it ever going to make its way that far west, do you think?
2: Well, Don, that is that decision really rests in large part with the voters of St. Charles County. Mm-hmm. They have been presented a couple of times with funding measures to support transit to be included in the Metro Transit system or form their own urban transit system. They have voted those down. So at this time, Don, there is not a local funding source to support transit operations or construction within St. Charles County at a
1: magnitude that could sustain light rail. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, go ahead, Jim. I
1: think the other thing I would like to remind um, all of our listeners is that, you know, Metro is one part of the public transit system. There's a very, very comprehensive bus system that is as important, if not even more important, to connecting residents of our community mm-hmm. with jobs in the places that they need to be. And we really do need to start to think of this as a holistic system. That includes transit, includes buses, and I would ask Jessica to talk a little bit about their Metro Reimagined uh, work where they're even looking at some of the ride-sharing systems that can help make this a really connected Mm -hmm. organization. Right. Right. So the future
2: of mobility in the St. Louis region from Metro's perspective really transcends just light rail and Metro bus. And on a day-to-day basis, by the way, we're carrying many more customers on our Metro bus system with its 84 routes than we are on Metro Link Mm -hmm. because Metro bus really gives us the reach that we need into all of the communities we serve across a three-county area. The future of the system, and this is what we're working on through a project called Metro Reimagine, is to strengthen some of those core Metro bus routes, many of which run north and south, to your listeners' comments earlier, to provide frequent service. And when I say frequent service, I mean service that operates at least every 15 minutes, so it's comparable to the frequency that our customers experience on MetroLink. Mm -hmm. So strengthening those routes and minimizing deviations and working to integrate other types of service models into our system. Those could be service models that are demand-responsive and use small vehicles to connect people in suburban employment centers or industrial employment centers to hubs on the system, like, for instance, our North Hanley Metrolink station mm-hmm. in North St. Louis County. It might be smaller type service that we call microtransit that's used to collect people from a metro transit hub like the Cortex Metrolink station or one of our downtown stations to their final destination. And that kind of service really expands the reach of the region's investment in Metrolink and that core network network of Metro bus. So the future includes Metrolink and Metro Bus still, but also community mobility solutions, something we call microtransit that takes advantage of the same kind of profile and technology that private providers like Uber and Lyft are providing in the marketplace today. Mm.
0: There is, nonetheless. I think the word has to get out in such a way that the perception, June, perhaps you'll agree with me, there is a perception that the people, particularly in North St. Louis, are kind of shut out in the transportation game. You're saying that's not the case?
1: I'm saying if you're talking about Metrolink, the Mm -hmm. transit system, the light rail system, it has not expanded yet to North St. Louis. Mm -hmm. The opportunity for Residents of North St. Louis to be connected to jobs, to opportunities, is exactly. there through a very comprehensive bus system. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I I remember when I was a kid. You know, it was buses that took us from yeah. where we were to where we needed to or, be, or your feet, or or your feet. or your feet, or or yeah. a bicycle. Yeah. But I mean, if you think about. When when we at CMT think about public transportation, we really do think about it holistically. We all love MetroLink; it it became the shiny new toy almost thirty years ago when it was developed, but it didn't replace that core trans you know public transportation system, which really is the bus. Yeah. Let's, I want to uh, mention on this north south so.
2: We've already made some investments. We opened a major transit center in North St. Louis County in 2016. Metro Reimagine proposes putting 15-minute frequency service from that transit center all the way at 270 to downtown and 15 minutes from downtown all the way to South County. So these north-south bus routes overlaid with a number of east-west routes really do provide a reliable grid that people can use to reach their destinations.
0: Well, let's take some uh, listener calls. I'll, I'll start with Peter calling from St. Louis. Peter, thanks for being with us, and thanks for waiting. You're on the air.
3: Absolutely. Thanks, Don. Uh, this is actually State Representative Peter Meredith from the 80th District in South City. Um, this is my first time calling in on the show. Uh,
0: I wanted to okay. ask really
3: quickly. Um, You you mentioned, uh, one of the guests mentioned, a study being done by East-West Gateway into alternative ticketing uh, methods and options.
1: I'm curious if they're looking at all at the prospect of uh, making Metro free and actually removing the ticketing process entirely. Um, I believe some other cities have explored
3: this, um, and I have heard suggestions that the savings
1: would be um, significant enough that actually the cost would not be that Significant, and so I'm curious if you know anything about what the cost might be of such a thing, and if uh, East West Gateways looking into that.
2: Thank you for your question, Peter. So the security assessment will look at a number of options. I think it's unlikely that they would recommend making the metro transit system fare free on a permanent basis. Passenger fares are an important source of funding to operate the system in our city and other cities nationwide. They actually support about 20 percent of the cost to provide service. And so there would have to be some revenue stream to offset that lost revenue. And it's, it's not a one-for-one loss. Certainly there are costs associated with Collecting fares, fare enforcement, equipment, and other technology out there. So, it, I I hear you, and and certainly. There's a desire to do that. We are working to make the metro system more accessible to our users by reducing the barrier of fares. We launched on June 1 in par- partnership with the communities we serve a pilot program called Gateway Go, and that's a youth-reduced fare program. It's actually for youth age 13 to 25 that, with obtaining this pass, they're able to get half fare. So that's very important for getting our young people to summer jobs, school programs, nutrition programs, and social activities.
0: Thanks for your call, Peter. Let's bring in Diane calling from Glendale. Go ahead, Diane.
2: Hello. Can you hear me?
0: Yes, go ahead.
3: Okay. Uh, I appreciate your comments on um, the efforts being made to address uh, the honor system and safety and so on, but I'm wondering how and why was the decision made at the inception to have it operate on the honor system?
2: So, Diane, when Metrolink was originally constructed, these decisions would have taken place in uh, the 1980s, by the way. We're celebrating our 25th anniversary next Tuesday on the groundbreaking day of Cortex. Mm -hmm. Um, Most light rail stations, most light rail systems at that time and most light rail systems in the country remain what we call proof of payment. If we think of systems that have barriers, those are typically heavy rail systems. Think New York, Chicago, Washington, D.C., where stations are often grade-separated. They're above grade or below grade. In a light rail system like Metrolink and certainly with the Cortex station, that station is at grade. It is integrated into the surrounding community. And so to create barriers through gates and fencing all along the alignment doesn't quite feel natural and certainly would inhibit some of that development and access to the station. So there are controls in place, including that onboard Fare inspection, the fare inspection at the point of purchase, and we're also rolling out a stored value smart card called Gateway Card that will require all consumers just to tap their fare at the time they board. I think a lot of our customers, especially who ride occasionally, don't see people purchasing a ticket when they board, so they assume they don't have a ticket almost anyone who rides the system on a regular basis already possesses a pass that they use for their fair payment. We'll
0: take one more call before we wrap this up. Uh, and uh, Carrie in Belleville, it's your turn. Go
3: ahead. Hi, I used to be a daily rider from Memorial Station in Belleville to UMSL. So um, that's quite a bit of the track um, on Metrolink. And one of the things I noticed was the main issue and, and why I had to stop using it um, was because there were maintenance issues, I mean, two or three times a week, where there were delays of, you know, 20 minutes to a half hour. And the other thing that I noticed is with the buses, um, definitely at the Memorial Station, and I'm pretty sure throughout the Metro East, I mean, these buses run, like, once an hour, which I know she said they're, they're trying to work on that, but um, I was just wondering if there's anything being done with the regular maintenance and the routine delays that there are on the train
2: Carrie, I'm sorry about your inconvenience. Based on your description of where you wrote, I think you were probably writing when we were doing a major tie replacement project. And so we did have a number of delays, especially in the evening hours. We do not have those at this time. In fact, once we open the Cortex Metrolink station next Tuesday, we'll be operating consistently as scheduled with a little bit of maintenance. And we try to do that in the evening hours when we have fewer customers and on the few hours when we're not running trains at all. So I encourage you to give us a try again, and I think you'll find that you'll have far fewer delays than you have in
1: the past.
0: 25 years old, Metrolink uh, mm-hmm. this year. June, how is the infrastructure holding up, do you think?
1: You know, I think for a project that utilized a lot of existing rail, it's holding up wonderfully. The uh, uh, inconveniences that your past our, uh, previous caller shared were evidence of Metro making sure, by state making sure, that they are keeping the lines in good repair. And when you're keeping things in good repair, that often means that there are going to be some inconveniences to riders. I want to also encourage, Carrie, please give the system a try again.
0: We're going to have to end it there, I'm afraid. Uh, we'll remind folks that the grand opening is going to be, what, 10 o'clock next 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock. Next Tuesday, Tuesday, July 31st. Already, You expect a lot of people?
2: We do. We'll have food trucks out. It'll be quite Uh-oh. an event. Yes. It's a great time to showcase the Metrolink station as well as the Cortex Innovation District.
0: Well, Jessica Mefford-Miller, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, she is the executive Interim Executive Director of Metro Transit. Thank you for being thank with Thank you us. for having us, Don. Good luck on Tuesday. Tuesday And June, McAllister Fowler, Board Chair for Citizens for Modern Transit. Thank you so much for thank being you. on. us. It's great to see you again. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.